I invite you to turn in your Bibles with me to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 7. It's been a few weeks since we were in the Gospel of Matthew together. Last week, Donnie Rosie preached on being heavenly minded about our Heavenly Father. And the week before that, we celebrated our 20th anniversary together as pastor and flock. So you might not remember what we've recently been learning in the Gospel of Matthew. So let me review. We're studying the theological biography of Jesus Christ, named the Gospel of Matthew. And we've gotten to the first big chunk of Jesus' astonishingly authoritative teaching we often call the Sermon on the Mount. We've actually been, how long do you think we've been in the Sermon on the Mount? Does anybody remember when we started it? February, okay. So we've actually been in the Sermon on the Mount since February, and we've seen some awesome things. I told Jordan that this week, and he's like, Jesus preached it in one afternoon, and you're taking five months? So, yes, that, that is how it is. Uh, G- King Jesus has been teaching us about his upside-down and inside-out kingdom. Do you remember this? Upside-down and inside-out. Upside-down because we would have never come up with this stuff on our own doesn't seem right or normal to us because that's because we are neither right nor normal. We and the world we live in are fundamentally broken so that we see everything askew. But Jesus is making all things new. His kingdom has drawn near and that means that we must change to fit within it. We must repent and follow our king and live as citizens of the kingdom that is merely here. In other words, we are being turned right side up by Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus' kingdom is also inside out. That is, that Jesus is focused on our what? On our hearts. Jesus is not satisfied with external obedience alone, such as that practiced by the scribes and the Pharisees. King Jesus demands something greater. King Jesus is not satisfied with just having our outsides in line. King Jesus wants our insides. He wants our hearts. And Jesus wants us to follow him from the inside out to every single corner of our lives. He he calls that to be perfect or to be whole. And as we live as whole citizens of this upside down and inside out kingdom, we will flourish We'll be rewarded, we will receive, and we will be blessed. And, Jesus says, we will be a blessing to others. Jesus says, in fact, that we will be a blessing to the whole world. And last time, we got up to the end of Matthew chapter 6, where King Jesus sets out our prevailing kingdom priorities for us. We are not to prioritize worry about food, drink, clothing, or the future. Instead, we're to follow our hide-the-word verse, which says what? But seek first His kingdom, say it with me, His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. What a wonderful promise. What do you think it means to seek this kingdom and this righteousness first and foremost? What does that mean? Well, I'm sure it's everything that has come before it in the Sermon on the Mount. Everything we just said. But I also think it's everything that comes out of it, after it. Chapter 7 flows right out of chapter 6. They're not disconnected. One flows right into the next. 
Remember, Matthew didn't put any chapter breaks in here when he wrote it. Matthew didn't write a great big six before what we call six one, or a great big seven before seven one. He just wrote out what Jesus said. So chapter 7 is, at least in part, an explanation of what it means to seek first the Father's kingdom and the Father's righteousness. And I'd like to sum up verses 1 through 12 of chapter 7 with one summary word, generous. This next section, verses 1 through 12, is notoriously hard to recognize how it all fits together. When I studied it over the last several weeks, I thought I could preach this in four separate messages with four separate big ideas, and I could. But it was harder to see how it all fit together, how the one part flowed into the next. I think there's a couple of threads that run all the way through, but as I was on a long walk with Jordan this week during our staycation, and we were talking about this passage, Jordan helped me to see that the theme of generosity or graciousness kind of tied it all together. So let's read the whole thing and pray, and then I'll try to show you what I mean. Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way that you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye? And pay no attention to the plank in your own eye. How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and then turn and tear you to pieces. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Would you pray with me? Father, Father, what a thing to call you. Thank you that we get to call you Father through faith in Christ Jesus. Thank you that we saw the light, that your mercy was more, and that you will hold us fast. May the mind of Christ be our mind. Make this passage that we're now going to read true of us. It's true already, but make it true of us. We pray that Jesus would be heard and heeded. Change us, Lord. Turn us upside down, which is right side up, and change us from the inside to the out. Fit us for your kingdom, we pray, as we seek it. In Jesus' name, amen. 
There's a lot here to chew on. You could hear it as I read it. But I want to summarize it with just two points, both about generosity. Here's number one. Be generous with others. Be generous with others. And I don't mean primarily about money, with money. I mean with the basic ways that you treat somebody else, how you relate to them. Relate to other people with graciousness and generosity of spirit. Our Lord Jesus begins with a prohibition. Verse 1, do not judge or you too will be judged. Here's how to seek first the Father's kingdom and His righteousness. Refrain from sinful judging. Do not judge or you too will be judged. A lot of people like that verse, right? We like that verse. But I don't think a lot of people really understand it. I don't think that Jesus is forbidding all judgment. I don't think that Jesus is saying that we should not analyze or evaluate the actions and intentions of other people. He's not saying that there's no right or wrong. Don't judge. It's just whatever. He's not saying that we should not make any judgments whatsoever. Jesus himself makes judgments. In fact, he's going to in this passage. And in just the next few verses, he'll make some more judgments and then command us to make a few judgments ourselves. He is not saying that we should not practice discernment. He's saying that we should not be judgmental. We should not be condemnatory. We should not be accusatory. The the old word for it is censoriousness. I think that's a word we need to reclaim and then have it not be true of us. Censoriousness. We should not judge too harshly or unfairly or hypocritically or lovelessly. Or as the kids say today, Jesus doesn't want us to be all judgy. That doesn't mean that there isn't a time or place for judging. There is. But there's also a time and a place and a way to not be judging. Jesus says, do not judge, or you too will be judged. And then he elaborates, right? Verse 2. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Now, that could be that others will judge or measure you by the standards that you use. That sometimes happens and it can be painful. But I think he's saying that God will do that, which is a much more scary proposition. Jesus draws from the world of carpentry here, right? His adopted father was a carpenter, so he probably knew all about measuring. Jordan here it was a carpenter by trade, right? Do you, do you recognize one of these? Yep, use one or a couple times here or there. He uses one all the time with the short-term trips that he takes people on. Let me ask you a question, Jordan. Do you use a different measuring stick to figure out what, is, what the opening is than the one you use to figure out where to cut the two-by-four? No, of course not. Do you use a foot ruler to measure for the piece you need? Do you use a foot ruler for one and then a metric ruler for the other? Of course not. Whatever tool you use to measure for the piece you need is the same tool you should use to cut the piece of wood you need. Now, using different measures can yield different results, right? And unfair ones, too. Like where the buyer gets less than what they paid for, right? That's why the Proverbs say, don't use differing weights and measures to keep everything equal and fair. Jesus says, for in the same way you judge others, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So the question is, how do you want 
to be judged? How do you want to be measured? I'm going to say today that we want to be measured graciously. We all want to be judged generously, right? Don't we? I want to be measured with love. If I'm going to be measured, I I want to be measured with love. I don't want to be measured just by justice. I want to be measured by grace. I I want to be judged by kindness. Well, at least no less than justice, right? And if possible, a little pinch of grace. Well, Jesus says that's how you should treat others, especially other Christians. Verse 3. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? I love this illustration. How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? I've said this before, but I always think of the Three Stooges when I read this passage, right? Just reads like a comedy routine. Imagine the mayhem of this picture. Again, it's at the carpenter shop, right? There's, there's sawdust in the air. You think you see something wrong with your brother. He's, he's got this little piece of sawdust in his eye, and you're going to help him out, right? Oh, you got something there. You're judging him. You see something wrong. You're telling him what's wrong. You want to help him fix it, right? But all the time, you've got this great big telephone pole sticking out of your eye, right? Jesus is hilarious when he does this. Let me get that out for you. You know, can you, can you see to get that out of his eye? You can't see that. And what's going to happen? Bonk, right? Three stooges all over the place. And somebody's going to get hurt. Now, notice that Jesus is not saying that your brother has no speck. He does. He's not even saying that it would be unloving to point out the speck or help somebody to dig it out. It would. There is a time and a place for discernment, for making a judgment, for making an evaluation, for helping someone to see where they've gone wrong. But there's some serious self-judgment that needs to come first. Some self-evaluation. Look at verse 5. You hypocrite. First, take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Often the problem is that we can't see our own planks, right? Or we don't want to see them. Jesus says, find those planks first. Seek first the kingdom by rooting out your planks before you go sticking your finger in somebody's eye. You see that word hypocrite in verse 5? Jesus isn't afraid to make a judgment, is he? That's calling it like it is. You hypocrite. That word hypocrite has been an important word in the Sermon on the Mount so far, hasn't it? It means someone who's not living inside out, where the insides don't match the outsides. Here the idea is that on the outside you're a great moral judge. Yes, I've got everything together. I can see what you're doing wrong. But really you're a hypocrite because you can't even see what's wrong with you. That's what the Pharisees were like. Everybody else was always wrong, but not them. You know anybody like that? Do you know yourself? There was a different standard for the Pharisees, a different measurement. How are you doing at this? I think that this is one of the greatest temptations for followers of Jesus Christ. 
We love to make judgments about other people. We get all judgy. We're quick to judge and to judge harshly and not be generous, not be gracious with others, even though that's exactly how we want to be treated. And in fact, how we have been treated by God through Christ. I think that's why Jesus put it right after telling us to seek the Father's kingdom and his righteousness. How are you doing with being gracious with other people? Are you doing this on social media? I know everybody's not on social media, but if you are, how are you doing at this? Are you posting about others as you would want them to post about you? That's what Jesus says in verse 12. Skip down there to, for a second where he, he brings all of this to a conclusion. He puts a cap on this whole section of the Sermon on the Mount, especially this part. So in everything you do, including with your thumbs, do to others what you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. Law and the prophets, that sounds familiar, doesn't it? Remember that Jesus said just a few chapters ago that he came to fulfill the law and the prophets? The first two-thirds of your Bible? Well, here he says that you can sum up the moral teaching of the first two-thirds of your Bible by simply doing to others what you would have them do to you if you were in their situation. Are you doing that online? Are you posting about the Democrats the way you would want them to post about you? Or other way around, are you posting about the Trump supporters in the way that you would want them to post about you if the shoe were on the other foot? Or your neighbors? Are you saying things about or doing things to your neighbors as you would have them do to you? Or your coworkers, or your, your boss, or your spouse? This is a major one in marriage. Work on this. If you're in a marriage, work on this. Use the same measuring stick and take the plank out before you ever go after a speck in your spouse. Your kids? Your parents? That person that cuts you off in traffic or at the checkout line? Or people who identify as LGBT? Or Muslims? Or immigrants? How are you doing at judging others? And if you can't see that you do this, then you have a plank. Jesus can see it. Jesus is calling us to be generous. I think that's how we want to be judged, right? Anything else is hypocrisy. So we need to change. We need to repent. We need to be turned right side up because the kingdom of heaven is near. Now, I'm not saying that we don't call a spade a spade. I'm not saying that we don't call sin, sin. Jesus says, you hypocrite. He calls out sin. You have a speck. It needs to come out. He's not throwing out truth at all. But we address our own sin before we address anybody else's. And however we address that sin needs to be using the very same tape measure that we would want them to use on us. Same one. It's kind of ironic, but the kind of people that I'm the most prone to be judgy about are angry, judgy people. 
I see angry, judgy people say on Facebook, and I'm, I'm like, I'm glad I'm not like that. Oops. And then I tell my wife about those people and the thing they said on post Facebook, and what have I just done? Tisk tisk. I tell myself, oh, I would never do that. And in the saying it, I'm doing it. President George W. Bush once said, too often we judge other groups by their worst examples while judging ourselves by our best intentions. That's hypocrisy. First, Jesus says, take the plank out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. First, then. First and second. I don't know about you, but I just love generous people. People that are truly, there's a bunch of you in this room, people who are truly gracious and kind and caring and open-handed and open-hearted with others, even when the others don't deserve it, especially when the others don't deserve it. Don't you just love a person who has a generous spirit? Don't you just want to be that person? Now, in verse 6, Jesus kind of says, on the other hand, he says there's a kind of generosity that can actually go too far. Look at verse 6 again. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and then turn and tear you to pieces. Now, this is one of the hardest verses in the Sermon on the Mount to interpret. And there are a lot of interpretive options. The, the book that I'm reading, right, one of the best books I'm reading right now says, this is the hardest verse. Okay, so if I get it wrong, forgive me, okay? I may not have it right. I think it's most likely that the thing that is sacred and the pearls are both referring to the precious gospel message. One is like the sacred meat from the temple and the other is like a treasured necklace. You don't give the sacrificial meat to the wild scavenger dogs in the street. Totally inappropriate. Or give your pearls to the wild boars who would mistake them for kernels of corn and then get mad because they aren't. They don't know how to treat those things, either the meat or the pearls. And in fact, they hate them. They don't appreciate what they have and they have utter contempt for them and they'll attack you if you keep on trying to give it to them. So I think that the dogs and the pigs are those people whom we try to share the good things of the gospel with, but they utterly reject them. Not just once in a small way, but outright and totally. And Jesus is saying that it's a waste of time and a degradation of the gospel to try to force it on them. Eventually, you just walk away and shake the dust off your sandals. The limit to gospel generosity is when it's absolutely rejected. I think that's what he means here. And it takes great discernment to know when or when not to do that. Because we're also supposed to persevere in sharing the gospel with people who need it. You see why I say that Jesus is not condemning judging others outright? He actually calls us to discern, to judge in some way, if someone is acting like a dog or a pig. If they are, then we're not to be pushing this valuable teaching onto them. It's wasteful. But if they're at all open, if there's a crack in the, in the, in the door, then keep going. Be generous with them. Because you know what? Number two, God is generous with you. Look at verse 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. 
For everyone who asks, receives. He who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Those are some precious promises about prayer. Ask, seek, knock. Keep on doing it. Those could be translated. Some of your versions might even say, keep asking, continue seeking, keep on knocking. Because God loves to answer persistent prayers. Now, of course, this does not mean that Christians get everything they want. What things do you think Jesus is assuming we'll pray for? A Ford Mustang GT Fastback? Maybe. I think he's assuming we're going to pray for the ability to not be judgmental. He's thinking that we'll pray for the ability to discern whether or not to give someone the sacred and the pearls. He's thinking that we will be praying for the kingdom because we're seeking it first. Same word in verse 7 for seeking as back in our hide the word verse, Matthew 6, 33. Seeking the kingdom. Prayer. Seek. What did Jesus tell us to pray for? Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He taught us to pray, give us today our daily bread. He taught us to pray, forgive us our debts. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Verse 8, everyone who asks for that stuff, receives. He who seeks the kingdom, finds it. To him who knocks, the door will be opened. Jesus is assuming that we're going to pray that we would live out the Beatitudes. Have you prayed, for, have you prayed the Beatitudes since we went through them a, a few weeks ago? Pray this, that this would be you. He, he assumes that we would pray that we would be salt and light. And that we would pray that we would have a greater righteousness that issues into love instead of murder and hate. Faithfulness instead of adultery and impure thoughts. Integrity instead of dodging the truth. And generosity instead of vindictiveness. All those but I tell you's. He's assuming we're going to pray those. He's going he's to assume that we're praying for generous love, even for our enemies. That's what Jesus is assuming we're asking, seeking, and knocking for. And everyone who asks for that stuff receives. He who seeks the kingdom finds it. To him who knocks, the door will be opened. Why? Not because we deserve it. But because God our Father is generous. Right? Look at verse 9. Which of you, he asked them, Which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? Again, Jesus is being funny, in a sense. I mean, it's not funny if somebody actually did this, but that's not normal. That's not the way parenting works. You're not like, ha ha, you broke your teeth on a stone. Oh, did you get stung? (laughs) That's not what dads do. That's not what moms do. None of you would do that, he says. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask Him? Oh, He will. How generous is our Father. Don't miss how amazing it is that Jesus uses that word Father to describe God. I know we're used to it because we've grown up around that. But it is astonishing when you think of it. It is staggering. Jordan does a lot of work 
with Syrian refugees. They're fleeing the war in Syria, and they've made it to an island called Lesbos in the Mediterranean. Jordan leads teams to go and serve these refugees. They're suffering. They've got almost nothing. Many of them are Muslim, right? They do not know God as Father. And he comes along, and he calls God, the maker of heaven and earth, Father. And they're interested. They're asking questions. They're saying, tell me more about this being that you know as Father. You know, we can only call God our Father because that's how He relates to us who belong to His Son. So this assumes that you are His child. This whole Sermon on the Mount thing is only true for those who have received Jesus as their Savior and Lord. To those who believed in His name, the Lord gave the right to become children of God and call God Father. I hope that's everyone here. If not, I call on you now to trust Jesus as your Savior and put your faith in what He did for you on the cross. Because if you don't, God is not your Father. But if you do, then He is. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life. If you believe in the name of the Son of God, then you may know that you have eternal life and you get to call God Dad. And when you do, you can expect good gifts. They're going to come because he's a great dad. He is so generous to his children. You know how to give good gifts, and you're flawed by sin and evil. I'm flawed by sin and evil, and I still know how to give good gifts to my kids. Jesus says, use that logic then. How much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So ask him. Because your Father is so generous. And of course, again, that means that we need to be generous too. Verse 12. So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Now, read that carefully. It doesn't say, do what others have done to you. No, they they don't set the standard. Right? This is not... Well, they did this to me, so I'm going to do this to them. No, and it it also doesn't say, do this so that others will do it for you. This is not quid pro quo. you You do this without any promises of reciprocity. Jesus says, do to others what you would have them do to you. What you would want. If the shoe was on the other foot. It's another way of saying to love them, right? We call it the golden rule, but it's basically just loving people like the Old Testament taught. The law and the prophets. And the New Testament agrees. The Apostle Paul said in Galatians, the entire law is summed up by a single command. Love your neighbor as yourself. It's another way of saying do to others what you would have them do to you. Because that's what we'd want, right? Who doesn't want to be loved? We want people to be patient with us, to be kind to us, to not treat us with envy, to not boast to us, to not act out of pride, to not be rude to us, to not be self-seeking around us, to not be easily angered by us, to not keep a record of our wrongs, to not delight in our evil but to rejoice with the truth. To protect us 
to trust us, to hope for us, to persevere and not fail for us. That's what I want, don't you? Do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. And it's what Jesus did for us. And it shows, and it's how God treats his children every single day.